0: right throws a deep pass right side end zone it's caught it's a touchdown and the cardinals continue to pour it on welcome to cardinals underground presented by the arizona cardinals mobile app visit azcardinals.com app touchdown arizona the latest news and notes from the guys who cover the team great move to the right at the 50 Cuts back to the left at the 40 he's loose at the 30 he's at the 20 the 10 touchdown cardinals rise up and make a play and what a hit he got crushed you've got to be kidding me come off the ball with malice here's paul calvisi you know of all the profound and eloquent things that darren urban has written over a storied career i'm trying to remember what exactly the tweet was and how many likes is it currently at this is cardinals underground kyle odegaard paul calvisi And I'm just curious because if everything said and written after the Cardinals' season opening win at the Niners, uh, there was something short and sweet that that most definitely resonated. Darren, pick it up from there and give us a real-time update.
1: Paul Calvisi recounting a conversation he and I had on the team flight uh, coming back from San Francisco. Yeah, uh, I've had a handful of tweets get uh, some kind of traction uh, in my life and after the game was over Sunday, I simply tweeted, "What a win for this team!" I mean, it was—it's not untrue. It could be a tweet pretty much for any team ever if they won an important game. It's not just the Cardinals. Uh, other than it was coming from my account, and it ended up within uh, even before we took off, it had more than a thousand likes on Twitter, which for me is pretty be- decent engagement, and it kind of cracked me up. But it also really underscored. Uh, the fan base where they were perhaps waiting for football, waiting for this team to get started and certainly uh, winning a game against the 49ers to start the year.
0: Well, the tweet took off. All right. I mean, that tweet took off before we took off, put it, put it that way. That was, uh, and you're right. People had been waiting a we've been waiting in 2020 B Kyle. They've been waiting since 2015 for a win to start the season. So everything told, it was like this perfect storm of celebration, of rejoicing. I'll tell you, just my own personal encounter As Darren was tweeting that out and then dashing from the booth, and I was looking down, getting ready to do the post-game show with Wolf and Pash, and I looked down, and there's Cliff Kingsbury jogging off the field with a smile on his face, and he's whooping it up. And as I took off the headsets, because you could hear everything in the stadium, pretty much, even from the upper deck where the radio booth was, because it was empty, and all that audio resonated straight up. I could hear uh, a joyous Cliff Kingsbury, you know, interacting with assistants and players coming off the field. And that resonated with me, because (laughs) the year before, after that Niners loss, he was not in a good mood. And I put up, and this is saying something, probably the worst post-game interview of my career, my not-so-storied career. I did a horrible job with the post-game radio interview. (laughs) And... And I was looking for a locker to crawl into in that locker room, put it that way. So for me, the before and the after definitely was just apparent visually, emotionally, just that vibe, Kyle, of getting that win at the Niners. It's
2: always easier on the post-game interviewer when the team wins the game rather than loses too. So I think that helped you out. But And, and you guys felt the vibe more than I did since you were there, but it, it seemed to me like for the first time in a while, this team has some swagger about itself, and like like DeAndre Hopkins said this week, they expected to win this game, and they were pretty big underdogs, but I think this team feels like they can really compete with anybody, and this was just a little bit of validation from that, and you know, you wonder a lot during the offseason, like you've been talking about, Paul, the, the, the paper champions, and how the Browns were it last year, and didn't it didn't turn into anything on the field. And for the Cardinals to actually do it after so much hype in the offseason, it, it really validates what, what they're trying to become. And I think at this point, I think Cardinals fans have a lot of reason to be excited about where this team can head.
0: You hear the ding. Uh, what resonates the most for you, Darren? I mean, seriously, you're thinking back on that win and it was a long day i mean it was definitely worth it and from the pregame to the post game to the flight home and then the four quarters of football what do you think of first from that week one experience
1: there's probably a couple things i mean one kind of going off of what you were just saying about hearing everything the 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 oddness of of that empty stadium you talk about hearing everything after the block punt by ezekiel turner I could hear Dennis Gardeck yell after they got the ball and as he's going to the sideline. And I, you know, you know, certain people's voices, even when they yell, you know, Oh, that's that guy. I I knew it was Dennis Gardeck. So that's, that's really strange. When you, when you see the 49ers get a huge play and there's just nothing there um, it really, really drives home what these players are going to kind of have to deal with emotionally. The other thing that, that, really is going to stick with me is the football part of it, which was they looked rusty when they started. And, you know, there's definitely things, especially offensively, I think they need to kind of work on. Um, But, man, getting DeAndre Hopkins really helped, didn't it?
0: (laughs) I mean, you're right. It was BYOE, as we call it, bring your own energy. There's there's no doubt about that. And you know what? You can't minimize that because especially when you're the road team, you go in and you feed off that. You feed off all – the haters behind the bench and there's sourdough Sam and you're hating that guy and the whole thing. I mean, you, especially in Seattle, that's honestly, to me, that's why a big reason why the Cardinals have won five of the last six years in Seattle, because more than any other road venue for them, it's them against the world. How is that going to be when the Cardinals go into Seattle and there is no noise and there are no fueled up, fired up haters behind the bench. I'm waiting to see that aspect of it. But to me, Kyle, speaking of Seattle, It reminded me of Russell Wilson. It reminded me of Kyler Murray and what he did and what Russell Wilson does on a regular basis. The first three quarters can be somewhat pedestrian, and then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, he plays winning football. And did Kyler Murray not engineer two fourth-quarter drives? Did he not house that 22-yard run? And all of a sudden, who cares about the numbers because he got the W? And to me, this team turned a corner in week one because instead of playing a close game, they won a close game. Because so many, we all know everybody now, just because you're close on the scoreboard doesn't mean you're close to being a winning team. The Chargers lost nine one-score games last year. So you have to learn how to win those games. And hopefully, it's one weekend, but to do it at the defending NFC champions, I think goes a long way.
2: Here we go, Paul. How do I uh, figure out how to answer all those things? First of all, Kyler Murray was great in the fourth quarter, but I don't think that means there's a clutch gene within Kyler Murray because he's done things in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter throughout his career. I I think he's a special player. And, yeah, you saw it late. And I think there is something to be said about them Finding a groove, being a little bit rusty, trying to figure out what the Niners were doing to them early. And then it certainly showed up in the second half. But to me, it's not about winning a close game, meaning you're a good team. I think this team is just more talented. And like last year, they should have won that game in San Francisco, and but they just weren't in enough situations last season where they could win close games. Uh, so I think they were a little bit unlucky last year, but overall they they were blown out too much and they were playing from behind too much. This year, it feels like it's just a good football team and you're going to have these close games. I mean, the Niners could have won that game if, if a few calls went a different way, if if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't underthrow uh, the, the receiver in the end zone when it hits Patrick Peterson in the helmet. I mean, there were a million ways for that game to finish, but I felt like you saw two even football teams on that field and that says something about the cardinals because you were on the road against the defending nfc champions and they went toe-to-toe against them didn't look great and still won the game
0: maybe the difference was the running back who had the angle route for the touchdown catch and run instead of being at the end of the game being the game winner it was at the beginning of the game and then gave the cardinals a chance to recover so maybe that was one big difference
1: that was a big difference although Again, flashbacks to Brandon Williams with the rookie getting beat on the giant touchdown pass. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't cost Isaiah Simmons or the Cardinals in this game. Look, I, I feel like, you know, you can dissect however you want to with Kyler Murray, but I, I think you you certainly saw, um, if nothing else, a continuation to the, of what we saw last year. You know, I still think there's some things he's got to figure out. I still think there's some things I got to figure out on offense um I as great as DeAndre Hopkins is I don't know if it's sustainable to target one guy almost 50 percent of the time uh but we'll see um and I I do think you'd like for this passing game to uh be a little bit more explosive at times and I know there were reasons for that but but you do want to try and get down the field once in a while but man when when Kyler got to the point where okay I'm going to go back for a pass and I'm going to move around and and I felt like early last year he was, it was so important for him to be the, seen as the passer guy, not the running guy, that when he scrambled, he stayed behind the line of scrimmage longer to try and find that pass because he didn't want to be known as a runner. I think he finally has found that, that, that ground where, okay, this, this, this is my opening to run. I can get you 15 yards here, slide, and really help this team. I'm not going to mess around back here and take a dumb sack. And I think that's kind of what you saw Sunday. I mean, I would have to go back and look, but maybe one or two of those runs maybe were called. I think everything else was a passing play that turned into a scramble. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I had some fans say, you know, what's going on? And if it wasn't for Kyler Murray, you know, scrambling around, they wouldn't have won. Well, yeah, that's true. But that's, that's baked into this offense that he might be able to do this for you. And if you start saying take that away and they're not going to win, well, duh, as I mentioned in the mailbag – take away Russell Wilson's four touchdown passes. The Seahawks don't win either. You, you can't just take away what your best player did for you because the reason he's your best player uh, in Kyler Murray's case is not just because he's a good passing quarterback, but because he can run and get around.
0: He established last year and you're right. May, maybe he made too much of an emphasis of it at times last year that he was a pocket quarterback who could run instead of a running quarterback who could throw. Now, you hope he just becomes lethal, whatever it takes. There was only one moment to me where it looked like last year when he got torn down for the sack by the shirt. That that negative play right there is something that was a flashback to last year. Otherwise, he definitely looked like a second-year somewhat seasoned quarterback, but he didn't look his best. We've all seen him play better. We've all seen him be more accurate. He obviously wasn't on the same page in that one third down chunk throw to DeAndre Hopkins in the third quarter, I think it was, where DeAndre Hopkins easily could have peeled off on a back shoulder towards towards the sideline, and they weren't on the same page. Otherwise, it could have been 15 catches for a buck 80. After that, there was also the Christian Kirk fourth quarter toss wide open. He just flat missed him. So there's definitely room for improvement. But it was interesting, Kyle, I asked on Game Plan, Cliff Kingsbury's TV show, I I asked him, did the Niners ever make an adjustment? Did they ever throw a spy on Kyler? Did they ever make an adjustment and bracket DeAndre Hopkins? How was he getting so wide open? And he didn't answer it specifically, but he did say they did make adjustments and then he had to adjust accordingly as to what the Cardinals were calling.
2: I think it's hard for defenses to guard the Cardinals because like we've talked about, I mean, with, with Kyler Murray's legs, that's really hard to stop. But if you do spy him, then you're taking away that second safety and you're allowing those deep shots, or you're going to let the team run the ball better and the Cardinals are efficient running. If we were talking about a dual threat quarterback who, who couldn't throw great. And we've seen a lot of mobile quarterbacks who didn't have the accuracy Tim Tebow pops to mind and just couldn't play actual quarterback, then it's easier to game plan against them. But if if you try to take away Kyler Murray on the ground, he's got the arm to do it. And I agree that he was a little bit rusty in the first game, but we've seen him throw the ball efficiently before and the Cardinals still have that in their bag. It doesn't feel like that's a dream to have an efficient passing game. I think it can happen. So I just think it's, it's going to be a really hard, offense to stop for uh, defensive coordinators this season.
0: And speaking of, if you want to throw back to last season, Cliff Kingsbury did tell us that the Niners and Robert Sala, their defensive coordinator, played a lot of too high safety, which is what Seattle and Carolina did at the end of the first month of last year. And it really stymied that Cardinals offense. So in some ways, if they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna play that sort of defense, to your point, Kyle, a lot of those deep shots, those chunk throws aren't there with regularity. They are daring you to run, whether it's Kyler or it's an underneath throw, which obviously they capitalize on with DeAndre Hopkins.
2: Yeah, that's the the Carolina game immediately came to mind for me. And the, the Cardinals looked probably the worst they did all season offensively in that game. And you're right, they they couldn't figure it out because they couldn't throw deep, but at that point they weren't really running the ball very much and and cliff kingsbury wanted to throw more but i do think now you have in the bag like we can just hand the ball off to Kenyon drake or chase edmonds we feel okay about that and we'll take our five yards on first down and then when you're at second and five then it opens it up and you can do a lot of things and the defense is on its heels a little bit so i think they've really figured out what to do when you have that too high look
1: what's really interesting guys Who do they play this week? Washington. Head coach Ron Rivera, who was the head coach of Carolina last year when they did this. So there's there's a very good chance that they're going to see something very similar to that Carolina defense this coming week.
0: And do they not have similar talent to the 49ers on defense? All those first-round picks and big-name, big-money talent invested in the defensive front and the pass rushers and the D-tackles, Cliff Kingsbury told us as much, yes, it is going to be a very similar challenge in terms of defense. So, really, it begs the question, if we want to talk game plan? Because Coach Cliff did actually let everyone in a little bit on what his plan was early. Because I think there was a lot of people questioning, wow, the the pass-run ratio was lopsided, especially in that first quarter and to begin the game, three or four times as many passes as runs. And that was by design. That they were trying to get that Niners defense to go laterally, get them tired out. It would pay off in the second half in the fourth quarter. That is what played out. If indeed that was the case, Uh, you know, only the Niners know. But I will say this, on the touchdown run, if you watch Fred Warner, it was right in front of me as I was watching unfold. He did a delayed blitz from that middle linebacker spot. He looked gassed. He he was not coming with force. Threw out a lame arm tackle attempt like, oh, somebody else can get him. Too late, Kyler's gone. And he angled for the pylon, a 22-yard score. So, whether they were gasping for air because it was the first week of the season and guys weren't in football shape, whether the air quality was such that it felt like you just pack, you smoked 20 packs of cigarettes after four quarters, you know, whatever it was, it was advantage Cardinals in that fourth quarter.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know exactly what it was either. It would be nice to think that, hey, some of this is the tempo that the Cardinals decided to play with. Um, and, and, and again – Here's the, the big issue when you start looking at these week one games, and we've all been around this league plenty long to understand this. the The results for the first two weeks, they they can represent what the season is going to be about, but they almost as easily cannot be. And there's so many examples over the years of week one and or week two games or, or, or two week the first two week teams that fade that start two and zero oh and fade quickly, or zero oh and two, and they come alive, or whatever it might be. And I don't know where the Cardinals are going to fall on this. Uh, You know, clearly the 49ers are missing their top two receivers probably, and Ayuk and and Debo Samuel, they probably would do some things differently. If George Kittle is hobbling after the Buda Baker hit, that obviously helped control him in the second half. Uh, But, by the way, as a quick aside, we got to give props to Vance Joseph and that defense for for whatever reason, George Kittle's best tight end in the league, he had four catches for 44 yards. That means something um but but we'll kind of have to see where this plays out but you got a sense of the tempo that they would like to play with on offense you got a sense of how they want to line up and oftentimes DeAndre Hopkins is off on his own on one side and you're going to have to make a decision are you going to worry about DeAndre Hopkins you're going to worry about everybody else um I was actually one of the things that caught my eye was how much Chase Edmonds was involved in the offense and or on the field with Kenyon Drake um all last season, Cliff Kingsbury kept saying, we got to get more time for Chase Edmonds, and then they never did it. Uh, I think they finally figured it out, and I think that's a good thing because I thought Chase Edmonds in his limited touches looked really good.
0: Yeah, no doubt. He, he looks quick out there. He, he seems to be at a different pace. He's definitely making guys miss. Um, but in terms of DeAndre Hopkins, let's not bury the lead here, Kyle. And I know DeAndre met the media on Tuesday of this week. Give us some first impressions and then give us some follow-up as to what you heard from D-Hop when he was talking to the media 48 hours after the win.
2: I mean, first impression on the field is he's exactly what the Cardinals needed. A guy who on third and eight, you can throw the ball and move the chains. I mean, you just trust him in those situations to get open and then he's got great hands. So I think I think he's, the, he's that star that they needed on offense where Last season, they had good offensive performances, but you didn't really know exactly where it was going to come from. And I think Kyler Murray having that security blanket is really important. And then I think just from the, the press conference, I was asking him about playing in this offense and, and being in a pass friendly offense, as opposed to he was talking about being more in a run focused system in Houston. I mean, he still put up a a season where he almost had 1600 yards and to, to wonder what he can do in this offense, like Darren saying, he's not going to get 14 catches for 151 yards every game, but, I just think they're going to feed him and he could average over 100 yards a game. That wouldn't, that wouldn't surprise me if that happens, if they really go air raid, like it looked like they did in that first game. So I just think he's going to, he's in line to have a really, really big year. And, and then however teams adjust to him, I think there's talent around him. I think Christian Kirk had a tough assignment against Richard Sherman and, and they were fine throwing it to Deandre because let's just, ignore Richard Sherman and throw it against the inferior cornerbacks. But when teams bracket DeAndre Hopkins, I think Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald are going to have some big games moving forward too.
0: So my uh, Niner faithful buddies that I grew up with hitting me up on the you know, I'm like, well, hey, I don't hear from you guys this year on Twitter. Instead of you guys you know, texting me and all this and, uh, hey, what's our weakness as you guys are marching to the Super Bowl? I don't hear from you here. No, like, oh, we didn't have Debo Samuel and Brandon Iuk and you guys are lucky, and next time – and. Is Patrick Peterson not equipped to handle Debo Samuel, uh, or a rookie, Brandon? I, I mean, are, are you kidding me? Then the other, the other line I got, Darren, and Kyle touched on it a little bit, was that D Hop got fat on Emmanuel Mosley, the backup corner, and there was a stat out there. Someone broke down the anal- analytics on it, and one third or one quarter of the time when Sherman was on D Hop, he wasn't nearly as productive, and w- as when he went against Emmanuel Mosley. So, so much. Does that my, make up the brakes a little bit?
1: My first thought that is, well, then are the fans saying that what the coaching staff is stupid of the, uh, the defensive coordinator who was being talked about for head coaching jobs and who led the best defense, arguably, in the NFL last year? He was just dumb because he didn't put Sherman on Hopkins. I mean, whose fault is that? Uh, it cracks me up. I, I will say that, uh, you know. I was hoping – I'm sure Christian Kirk was hoping he'd be a little bit more involved in the offense. That didn't work out. I, I thought Fitz had a chance to do a couple more things. He had, a, he had a really nice catch and run that got eliminated because I think a hop penalty of holding or something on a, on a catch that he yep. – I think he got for like 15 yards. That would have been a big deal. Um, and, and that's the thing. I, mean, I think they will feed Hopkins, and I do think he's primed for a big year. Um, But if somebody does come along and makes it be so Hopkins only gets seven catches in a game instead of 14, there's plenty of other guys that can make some of those catches. And I do think, you know, I I love it. Every single, especially Fitz and Hopkins, every time they're asked, we don't care about catches. Hopkins, I could have zero catches as long as we win the game. Fitz, I just want to win a Super Bowl. You know, if they had a couple of weeks where they had one catch each in two different games, I'm guessing they're not just sitting back in the room saying, oh, but a lot, as long as we're winning, um, <laughs> I think at some point Fitz would like a couple of catches. DeHop's going to want his catches. And I do think they, they are equipped to be in a good place to get those. And, and we'll see where it goes. But, again, whether it's – whatever, who was guarding DeAndre Hopkins and however it went – now it's on tape that this dude just got 14 catches and not that everybody didn't already know the guy, but now you're on high alert. Well, they're going to go to him a ton. And now if you're Washington, are you going to put all your focus on them? And then all of a sudden does Christian Kirk go off for hundred yards this week? Or does Larry Fitzgerald make you embarrassed? Or is there so much more room for Kenyon Drake that you give it to him on a couple of draws with his pass rush coming flying up the field and Kenyon Drake breaks off 20 and 25 yard runs at a chunk. So I do think the Cardinals put themselves in a good position.
0: As long as you brought up Fitz and hop in the same sentence, how about the play at the end of the half, right? Hop after the game got a game ball, but it was the ball that was ripped out of his hands by Larry Fitzgerald and spotted right before halftime, Kyle. Just the utter football IQ on that one and and the wherewithal. And honestly, I thought they were still going to run out of time, but obviously they got the field goal off.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Like all the all the Cardinals did a good job with the urgency, and they you could tell they were all li- lining up, and they knew what to do. But if Larry Fitzgerald doesn't physically grab that ball and run it to the center of the field, they don't get that snap off, and it's pretty incredible that. And he he does that a lot. We've seen him do that several times. But the fact that he has the wherewithal to to have that type of football IQ, and you know they get the the three points out of it and shave the the lead down to three. So. It doesn't – I mean, it doesn't show up anywhere in the box score, but such an integral play to, to end the half.
0: You know the biggest barrier to the Cardinals' up-tempo is the officials. And, and it just yeah. honestly, I mean, we, we even had a, a stoppage in play yeah. and the ref cracking his mic saying, no, that play is null and void because the official was out of position. <laughs> and, and so how many times do you see the Cardinals wanting to go – and, and, and there's the official standing over the ball waiting for everybody. Okay, the umpire's got to get behind the play now. We know that. The back judge. And so that's, to me, the biggest barrier to the Cardinals going at the tempo they want. Him. Well,
1: I, and I can't remember if it was the play where they actually stopped down, but one of the officials backpedaling towards the Cardinal sideline actually took a tumble on his butt <laughs> because he was trying to race back to the sideline so fast and he fell down. It, it is kind of funny. Um and, and it, it's not – what the Cardinals are doing, they do want to up-tempo. It's not always that they're going to just jump up there and snap it in seven seconds. I, our good buddy Rex Ryan on, uh, on uh, ESPN before the game, I noticed, because I, he- I heard you say something because I had watched it too. Boy, um, well, he went right back there. He went right back to the whole, you know, the, they don't run the ball enough and – you know, they, they don't know how to play offense and their defense was terrible last year because they could never catch their breath. I'm like, Rex, dude, I'm talking to the TV in my hotel room. I'm like, guy, I watched that defense. I'm sure they appreciate the, the, the excuse there, but they were not good last year because they were not good. It was not because they were out of breath. Um, And so this, this thing, I think, I think Cliff has a better handle on what he wants to do this year. I do think they'll no huddle a lot, which, of course, no huddle and, and hurry up are two de- different things. You cannot huddle and still take 15 seconds of the play clock. And I think they're going to kind of go in and out and back and forth and kind of see where it goes. And, I, and, again, I also think this is still a work in progress. We talk about Fitz and making that play, which was incredible and a heads up. And what it ended up doing, quite frankly, uh, especially once they got the field goal off, and it's amazing that Zing Gonzalez makes a career high on that play. What we're not talking about is the play earlier in the sequence where, for whatever reason, they decided to run a quarterback draw with time running out, and Kyler had nowhere to go. And because he's not going to fight four yards, he went on his butt at the line of scrimmage, so he wasted a snap and a play. And then, of course, the play to DeAndre Hopkins that gained him a few yards, but it also was like right in the middle of the field to, to necessitate Fitz having to run over and get the ball and run it over. So I still think there are little things that, again, as Cliff said, after the game, it's always – everybody says after a win. It's always easier to correct these things after a victory than a loss. And like Kyle was saying earlier, this thing could have turned on a couple of little things, and we'd be sitting here not talking about this. We'd be talking about – Man, why did they have Isaiah Simmons out there trying to cover Mostert early in the game and he gets burned for a touchdown that ultimately could have been the winning points or, you know, how does Patrick Peterson get beat on that play in the end zone because Jimmy G drops it over him or whatever we might be saying, you know, this is this is how the narrative changes on a week to week just on those little things.
0: You know, it, it, as long as Darren brought it up, you know, as soon just the mere mention of Rex Ryan because I heard it myself getting ready and we're getting ready to, to – and, I mean, I, I'm like, I need something stronger than the water in this bottle. When I heard the Rex Ryan, it reminded me what the old line coach, Sean Coogler, told us in the Big Red Rage in the offseason. It always takes a year with the national media to come around to the realization that that stereotype or that characterization is just dead wrong. For example, we spent all of last year with the national media declaring the Cardinals' O-line an utter disaster and a dumpster fire. And it wasn't. It wasn't the offensive line from 2018. It was a much approval. Now you're not hearing that as much. But to Sean Kugler's <laughs> credit, it does take that year. And already, you, know, you still have these national guys spewing the, I'll just call it nonsense. It just, it's just inaccurate. And, and Kyle after the game is like somebody send Rex Ryan, the box score and the 180 yards rushing. I mean, you know, what's going on.
2: Paul, what we need to do is stop listening to the national pundits and start reading the analytical minds of the NFL, because this team is an analytical darling football outsiders likes the Cardinals a lot. They were more optimistic about this team than anybody else. They had them above 500 on the season when most people had the Cardinals winning six or seven games. And at this moment, after one game, they're giving them a 55% chance of making the playoffs, which nobody, not analytically, would, would be looking at that right now. But I think they're dead on. The Cardinals showed a lot at the end of last season. And then they had a lot of money because Kyler Murray's on a rookie deal. And then they reinforced a lot of things defensively. They got DeAndre Hopkins. There's a lot of reasons to be excited about this team. And, you know, narrative or not, if you look at the team and you look at the numbers, I just think they're really ascending. And and you look at this three-year window now for this team, it's exciting.
0: All right. So Kyle, right back at you. we're talking about this defense right now, just give us some, some thoughts on it. And how improved was it to you? And I don't, you know, like football outsiders. Is that one of the big reasons they're bullish on the Cardinals because of the improved defense?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they basically feel like if if you take a big step back or a big step forward in a season, you're going to come back and regress toward the mean the next season. So the Cardinals were so bad last year that you don't really project them to be last in total defense because they had some success in the previous seasons. And you've got guys like Chandler Jones and Buda Baker and Patrick Peterson who have been a part of those teams. So they thought that the Cardinals weren't going to be as bad as people thought defensively. And yeah, it's. I mean, it turned out where Devondre Campbell, I think, had a nice game, and it just the they just don't have these glaring holes on defense anymore. the The defensive line looks stronger and deeper, and the inside linebackers played solid. Besides, you know, Isaiah Simmons had his issues, but having Hassan Reddick and Devon Kennard playing that that outside linebacker spot and being able to drop in coverage and be versatile, Byron Murphy playing better this season in his second year. I mean, they they just have a lot of good pieces at good ages and a lot of depth. And I think I think the defense is going to be much better. And before the season started, we, that's what we were questioning. I, I like the offense a lot. I wasn't sure about the defense, but after this first game, I'm pretty bullish on the defense too.
0: I mean, those, that defensive line room right now, we didn't call Corey's, Corey Peters' name a lot. Uh, Jordan Phillips didn't have his name called a lot. I'm sure they graded out and they had fine games. But we're not concerned about those guys. They're established. I think they're pretty proven. Jordan Phillips, maybe not as much, at least based on his stellar numbers from last year. But the fact that a Zach Allen had a sack and a tackle for loss. And then we gave out game balls Monday morning. And I said, well, you know, we got to give a game ball to Bill O'Brien for go ahead and, you know, letting go of a guy. And, and I, you know, I strung it along. And, and you think we're talking about DeAndre. I'm, well, no, I'm not talking about DeAndre. I'm talking about Angelo Blackson. I'm giving him a game ball for Angelo Blackson, a guy who started 31 games Combine the last two years and use just a surprise cut at the very end, Cardinals say, great, we'll put Michael Dogby on the practice squad after he clears waivers, and Angelo Blackson, boom, right into the rotation. So if you have that kind of depth, we know how valuable that is, Darren, and it did look like a revamped defense. I asked Cliff Kingsbury on his TV show, I said, what do you think Isaiah Simmons learned in his first game? And his answer was, well, they're going to test you. They're going to make you prove it, that you belong out there, that you can handle it. So credit the 49ers for picking on the rookie. You could attribute maybe 14 points to Isaiah Simmons. And, you know, and So without Isaiah Simmons, the rookie, being exploited without any preseason, it does make me wonder, wow, how good would the defensive performance have been?
1: First of all, uh, before we get too far away from the uh, Texans gift basket, cornucopia of gift gift baskets going in, not only do they have Angelo Blackson and DeAndre Hopkins, but they also have a tight end uh, that they got from the Texans, uh, uh, Jordan Thomas. He's on the practice squad right now, but he's been on the, he's been protected uh, both the first two weeks and you can protect certain guys off the practice squad because they don't want to lose them. So there's a third Texan potentially uh, that they got rid of. When it comes to Isaiah Simmons, Yeah, I mean, I think, look, all we heard every time we wanted to hype him a little bit in training camp and Vance Joseph talked about him, Vance Joseph was ultimate pump the brakes and you could interpret that one of two ways. One of them was he's dominating, he's going to come out and he's going to be rookie of the year material as soon as it starts and they just want to not talk about it. Quick story. Back in 2003, when Anquan Bolden was a rookie and a certain uh, uh, assistant coach for the Cardinals, who was offensive coordinator named Jerry Sullivan, perhaps that name rings a bell. Uh, I I was going to interview him on, I was in him Friday before the season opened at Detroit. I sat next to him and I said, so I was asking about a handful of guys in the offense. And I said, so um, what about Bolden? Like he's played like four snaps in the preseason. Like, is he hurt what's the deal and and he goes he goes look he goes I'm telling you right now this kid is going to take the league by storm this year we knew that we knew that from the first day he walked in we didn't want to put him out on the field because I didn't want anybody else to know it either and then of course two days later it goes to Detroit 10 catches 217 yards two touchdowns and he automatically became the Anquan Bolt and everybody knew right away um, so there was always that possibility with Isaiah Simmons. Maybe they just weren't like, hey, this kid's going to rip it up. And Vance Joseph was saying, pump the brakes because. Or, or Isaiah, when Vance Joseph said he's picking it all up in the meetings, but when you get on the field, it's a whole different thing and he looks okay. Maybe Vance Joseph was telling the truth. And it feels like after that first game, Vance Joseph was telling the truth. And I know fans are – There's a lot that goes – there's a lot to unpack with Isaiah Simmons, I think, Paul, and Kyle, because he's a top-ten pick. People are concerned. He's a guy that some people were wondering what his position was going to be, and so some fans are concerned. And now he's going to play inside linebacker in a role that you just – for the past two-and-a-half years, you saw them try to use another first-round pick and shoehorn him in there, and it didn't work. And so fans are really panicked that it's going to be Hassan Reddick the second. And all I can say is, look, can, we, can we get a little bit of elbow room here? I mean, they went through no – they had no offseason. They had no preseason games. They didn't do a whole lot in training camp. Um, this was essentially test runs for him, and unfortunately it counts. And, you know, I, I think you really saw it on the Mostert play. And it was funny. That happened, and I remember seeing that early in camp same thing they were running they were running routes on air and he was covering somebody off the line of scrimmage I can't remember if it was a tight end or a running back and he got roasted I think it was a tight end and it, but it was a tight end that I don't think it was Dan Arnold I, it might it was one of their other guys that you would think okay Isaiah Simmons first round pick he should be able to take this guy and he just got burned bad and he was trailing by four yards on this play before the tight end got the catch and, again, that was early in camp. Things happened. But he's going to have to learn these things. And you've got to be willing to let him grow. And, again, it's, I think it's just a big plus that they were able to win a game in which he made a mistake, maybe 2 not sure exactly what happened on that bust coverage on the other touchdown. But I, you look at his – he's a specimen. He absolutely can run. Once he figures some of those mental things out, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to work. In the spot that they're having them, I mean, the the one thing I'm worried about, Kyle, now is the way that first game went. Do you have enough money to to possibly keep Devondre Campbell around here next year and have a three linebacker core of Devondre Campbell and Isaiah Simmons and Jordan Hicks? Because I liked what Devondre Campbell did, and I think that group would be nice to have if it was humanly possible. It's interesting that they basically
2: went to a a four three defense in this game, and I'd assume. It's because it was the 49ers because they like running base defenses and and have a fullback and more of that traditional set. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I mean, going back to Isaiah, that that's that's the concern is can he guard people in space? I mean, he's such a big dude. He's obviously got the top end speed. Like Next Gen Stats did the speed of Raheem Mostert and it was like 23 miles an hour, the fastest runner in the last three or four years. And then Isaiah Simmons was like 21 and a half miles an hour, which is an insane number for a linebacker. So when he's, I mean, he couldn't catch him because Raheem was so fast, but I mean, any tight end he's going to catch in that scenario. So when he gets to his top end speed, we know he has the the speed to get there. But how does he handle that change of direction and and angle route? He didn't handle it. Was that mentally? Was that physically he couldn't change direction fast enough? That's my question, Mark, moving forward is is how he can do in coverage. Because that's the key, I think, to Isaiah Simmons is covering tight ends, covering running backs out of the backfield. He has to be able to do that in order to be this dynamic piece.
0: That's interesting on the miles per hour, just because historically the real burners in the league are 21 to 22 miles per hour. Yeah. I mean, the JJ Nelsons, the John Browns over the years, those guys have been, and so to be at 23 miles per hour, that is elite. There, there's, there's no question about that. I will say this, Darren, to your point about some of the Cardinals fans, maybe you're getting a little fired up and they're, they're, they're seeing, you know, the, the reincarnation of a, a Hassan Reddick. In some ways, I did text a guy, former first-round pick, who played a decade in the league at the same position. And here's what he said. I'm just going to read you some of what he texted me. you got to remember, Paul, that this was his first game facing live bullets. Rookies need preseason games more than anyone to get acclimated to the speed of the game. This ain't the ACC. He'll be fine, but he does need to hone his technique at that position. He also spent the majority of his snaps last year at safety and slot corner. I don't know if that's totally accurate. I mean, I know he played 100 snaps or more at five different positions. I mean, he probably played Wildcat quarterback, and he was vendor, beer vendor as well at Clemson for all we know. So, yeah, he's got to get in to the inside linebacker spot. And a lot of it – and Larry Foote used to talk about this, guys. It's the eyes. And how many times have we seen it? So if your eyes are in the backfield and the, and the running back gets past you, like Mostert, or if your eyes – and could you have picked a tougher opponent or offense – than Mr. Eye Candy himself, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, talking to some of the defensive coaches before the game, they're like 85% of the plays he's going to run will involve some sort of shift, motion, misdirection. The play itself is old school out of the West Coast offense. It goes all the way back to his dad. But everything he does and dresses it up with the personnel packages and all the craziness, it was sort of a perfect storm for a rookie who'd never been in an NFL game before to try and decipher and determine and read and react and play fast because, as Rob Fredrickson said at halftime uh, on the radio broadcast, you know, that one false step in the wrong direction and in this league, you're done. In in college, you can recover, but if there's one false move or step in the wrong direction, and unfortunately, Hassan Reddick learned that the hard way for four years at inside linebacker.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the false step is what really, and and it's funny, the last time Isaiah talked to us, I forget somebody asked the question It might've been me for all I know, but talking about making those mistakes and, and having it and he was the one who brought up false steps and, you know, he still had some false steps he was making. Now he was saying at the time, I feel like I've got the athleticism to make up for those false steps. But as you pointed out, um, I mean, he just, he bit hard. He took that one hard false step to the outside Mostert went inside, and then there was just no making up for it, as Kyle pointed out with all his uh, beautiful miles per hour numbers. You know, you, that's, that's just not going to happen. It, now, there will be some guys he covers. Well, you know, it might be a certain tight end where he might be able to take a false step and, and recover, depending on who it is. But it wasn't going to be on that play against that guy. And, and that's the thing. It's, it's exactly what we were talking about going into it. And we were talking about Isaiah Simmons in particular. You don't want to put them in position where one play costs them a game, and I know you talked about it, Paul, on the air. I, I, it's what I thought. It happened. It was early. I'm thinking, okay, but especially when he combined it with all the the, the slow start to of the offense of the Cardinals, I started thinking, holy crap, that might cost them the game that one play.
0: Justin Pugh told us, by the way, in the Big Red Rage, you guys aren't talking enough about Devon DeRay Campbell. So to come full circle on the linebacker spot, that was a really nice game. And there was even, I think it was Tevin Coleman, that on a wheel route, he was step for step down the sideline, Kyle. And then you have a Devon DeRay Campbell, who obviously was instrumental in the fourth and goal stop, him and, and, and Devon Kennard. So you have a guy who can run. You have a guy who can play stout in the box. Uh, You have a guy that, you know, just the stature of him at at 6'4". I mean, we talk about Isaiah Simmons and the measurables. Andre Campbell, he is a sight. I mean, he is definitely a a specimen. So there there is a huge upside. And, And you look at, I looked at some of his games against the Niners. For example, the Falcons beat the Niners last season. He had an unbelievable game. He had 11 tackles. He was all over the field. So he's equipped. I don't know if he's especially equipped for that team that runs that sort of offense, but to me, if you're going to get a Washington team that comes in and they're going to play more of a hard-nosed power run game, I think he's just as equipped to battle against that sort of offense.
2: I think, he, I mean, he's he's what you want Isaiah Simmons to be, and Isaiah Simmons has more athletic talent, so his upside is higher, but the fact that Devondre Campbell can, can be in the box and stop the run, like you mentioned, on that fourth and goal where Devon Kennard made the play to stop the guy, but But Mostert probably has his momentum getting into the end zone if Campbell doesn't come up and help out. So being able to stop the run and then the coverage is the most important thing in the NFL. And these running backs and these tight ends, as we saw Sunday, can really hurt you. And the Cardinals have that guy now where they did not last year. They had nobody in their inside linebacker crew that could – stay with tight ends and then so they tried to put it on the safeties and then Buda Baker can't really do as much that they want him to do because he's got to play a tight end in certain situations and now having Campbell I think it just really makes the the entire defense better because he's a versatile piece and you know he can do a lot of those things I I agree with Justin Pugh he's he's an underrated player from that first game where he, he fixes a lot of holes that you had last year. And Isaiah Simmons might be that guy moving forward. But in 2020, right now, as Isaiah Simmons learns, it's great having Devondre Campbell as that insurance. You know, the other
0: question on that defense, Drake Kirkpatrick, and I just didn't know what to think after the game because with the Niners' lack of receiving options, it didn't seem like he was tested too much. Cliff Kingsbury did tell us on his TV show game plan that he tested out well. They graded out well on, on the film. Um, he likes the energy, said he, he's, he's a real asset in that regard to the defense. But, Darren, do you think Pat P and Kirkpatrick get tested a little more this week against Washington?
1: That's hard to say. I do, given the injuries and stuff, I do like Washington's receiving core a little bit better. I mean – I think Dwayne Haskins is still a work in progress and even though Washington won uh, against the Eagles, they didn't do anything super spectacular there were some turnovers involved there for the Eagles, I think the longest scoring drive for the, uh, I almost said it for Washington uh, was like 48 yards so it's not like they were explosive offensively. You know, even looking at what the Cardinals were doing. I mean, essentially, if they weren't in nickel, Byron Murphy was the number two cornerback most of the time, if I noticed correctly. Um, If they went to three cornerbacks, okay, then you have Kirkpatrick on the outside. You were able to have Murphy playing slot. But if they only had two cornerbacks, they're still trusting Byron out there, it looked like. And I do think that that part of that is Kirkpatrick being so new to things. But at some point, they are going to play teams – in this division, especially with Seattle and and the Rams, uh, where they're going to need all three of those cornerbacks playing a ton of snaps at a high level, Um, especially if Seattle's going to decide to let freaking Russell Wilson throw, which they really should have been doing the last few years, and they just weren't. Um, So, I mean, that's something that this this defense is going to need, and they're going to need Kirkpatrick. I thought he was fine. I didn't really notice him one way or the other, to be honest. Um, But that's okay, uh, because I thought defensively, Except for the one drive, I'm not even going to count the Simmons getting blown, the, one, the drive where they took the lead in the fourth quarter, where the, the Cardinals finally took the lead and then you let them come right down and score the other way. That was a little disappointing because um, you want to be able to answer as a defense. But other than that, I felt like overall, whatever they did, however they did it, whatever warts might be there, um, I, I really liked how this defense played out on all three levels.
0: By the way, the big play on that drive to use check, you know, the 41-yarder, that was a Pash factor. Just to let you know, so if if, I don't know how they graded out the film, but they need to put Pash factor down on that one because what Dave said, there were no big plays recently. Boom! All of a sudden, they hit a big play.
1: That was, and it was funny because that was the one I thought Hassan Reddick played pretty darn well as an outside linebacker in this game. That was the one play that I'm like, because he got caught. I think he was in coverage there, but overall, I thought. I thought for sure that – I I thought Reddick had a good game, and he was another guy. When we started talking about Campbell, I don't know what they were going to do with Simmons originally. I don't know if it was always going to be about 19 or 20 snaps, whatever he did. I don't know if they pulled it back when he was struggling and Hassan ended up playing more. But Hassan Reddick played almost as many snaps as Devon Kennard. And, again, other than that one play, I thought he played pretty well.
0: He was in the game plan. I'd love to know that, too, to what degree. And then did it change during the course of the game based on Isaiah Simmons because they were targeting Isaiah Simmons, the rookie. But I I did talk to a few people before the game. They said, no, you guys are going to be calling Hassan Redick's name today. So he he was part of the game plan. Um, To what degree, I'm not exactly certain. Kyle, when Justin Pugh was talking to the media on Tuesday, And I just love Pew's insight, and he's a guy who could walk into a media gig and a sports radio gig upon retirement. He's so well-equipped for it. Give me some of what he he told the media, because wasn't he, for starters, wasn't he very uh, high and didn't give a lot of props to Lamont Gilliard and filling in for Mason Cole?
2: Yeah, I think he called him the MVP of the game for doing that. And it's definitely a position where there's a lot on your plate and you're getting thrown into the fire like that. Not only do you have to snap the ball and and protect, but you're trying to identify the Mike linebacker to help out Kyler and see what, what kind of coverage the other team is in. So it was a tough spot. Luckily, Lamont Gilliard had a lot of, uh college experience coming into this game so even though he didn't play last year he'd been on the field quite a bit and people have talked about his mental intelligence and ability to diagnose so i think it was a big spot for him and he played well and i thought the offensive line overall uh, did a really nice job kyler murray was sacked twice and one like you mentioned earlier paul was the rollout where he should have just thrown that ball away and he waited and he got sacked and then the other one was he had a clean pocket he jutted forward and he slid a yard behind the line of scrimmage. So they gave the sack to the, the nearest 49ers defender, but it wasn't an offensive line issue. So I think there were there were plays clearly when Nick Bosa and other guys got pressure on Kyler Murray, and, and that stuff needs to be cleaned up. But it did not feel like Kyler Murray was under duress consistently. And there were some games last year. Carolina comes to mind when he just, he, he looked a little bit scared about what, where the pass rush was coming from, and I did not see that in this game. And going against the Niners, that's huge, because that's one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. The Cardinals handled it pretty well. I think Cliff Kingsbury's scheme handled it well, where he got the ball out pretty quickly a lot of times, but the Cardinals just have a – I think they have a, a nice kind of formula going where you are face, facing a Washington team that has these elite pass rushers, like you said earlier, Paul. But the Cardinals have the right type of offense to combat that if they're executing.
0: Yeah, if there's one game you want before the Washington game, it would be against the Niners, wouldn't it? Considering everything that Washington has up front with all those first-round D tackles and then Chase Young and Ryan Kerrigan with 100 career sacks – to me, it makes me feel a lot better because we all know what happens when you don't have a stout offensive line. Just look at what happened to the Eagles. They squandered that 17-0 lead. They had two guys in for two Pro Bowlers on the offensive line who had basically never played in an NFL game, and it was an utter disaster as Carson Wentz, who's pretty dang mobile, was sacked eight times. So that makes me feel a lot better. And think about the challenge for Lamont Gilliard. You know, you come in, your first regular season NFL action, and you're looking across – first-rounders like Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw. Think think of all those guys that, you know, you, you have to deal with as their interior D-line. So uh, hopefully that makes you bullish. And you're talking about Lamont Gilliard, a guy who started, what, four years at Georgia, right? Wasn't he a four-year starter at Georgia going against SEC competition?
1: I think he was. And I do think they they like Lamont Gilliard a lot. And they like Mason Cole a lot. And it'll be interesting to see where the in, the injuries are. But – it's fun. I do think the line played as a, as a group very well, but that great equalizer, which is Kyler Murray's legs, and his ability to get around, move around, make the right decisions as we talked about earlier, um, that's always going to make your offensive line a little bit better. I mean, I can't imagine being – and Carson Wentz is not immobile – but he's not Kyler Murray either. And it's gonna be interesting to see this this dynamic. There's a reason why, I mean, I think Patrick Mahomes, he's not a runner the same way too, but he's pretty mobile. We know Lamar Jackson. There's a reason why these certain quarterbacks are starting to rise in the NFL above all the other ones. And that aspect of the game is just it just changes everything.
0: Just in the division, there's a big divide right now. Have and have not. You either have the future of football at quarterback or you don't. You're Kyle Shanahan, you have Jimmy G, whose numbers, if you look at the playoffs and then his numbers against the Cardinals, and then there's Jared Goff, and Sean McVay obviously is very creative and innovative and they do their best, but they do not have quarterbacks. The Rams and Niners with the athletic ability and the escapability of a Kyla Murray. And it's why Dan Orlovsky said on Monday morning, I found this interesting, he said, on ESPN that Kyler Murray is a top-five quarterback already when it comes to quarterbacks the defensive coordinators hate to game plan against. And I brought that up to Cliff Kingsbury, and he said, well, doesn't that make him a top-five quarterback, period? <laughs> yeah.
1: so, you know, that's, so. that's pretty much the only the only right. measuring stick, right? Yeah.
0: He wanted to know, well, what's the distinction? You know, it's, I, I, I'm like, I don't know, but I just thought it was an interesting – because we saw Kyler Murray in Tier 3 in some of the off season quarterback rankings. Did we not Kyle? Right. Weren't there analytics that had him in tier three?
2: Yeah. I mean the the pro football focus put him at like 27th overall in one of their rankings, which yeah, I don't, I don't know what you're watching if that's the case. I mean, he finished number 15 in total QBR last season as a rookie who a rookie that was kind of winging it, who said it himself. So I, I, I agree. I mean, whether you want to parse whether defensive coordinators call him top five to defend or top five overall, if he finishes top five in, in total QBR, that would not surprise me. He he didn't play a great game against one of the best defenses in the NFL on Sunday, and he still finished number five in total QBR behind Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. And I, I think he's more in that tier than he is in that second or third tier because of what he can do with his legs because of the arm talent and last year the Cardinals personnel wise just did not compare to what they have now and the defense doesn't did not compare to what they have now it's it's always a little bit worrisome to try to crown somebody after 17 starts in the NFL but I mean, everything I see, I, I just I'm just so optimistic about what he can do because of the talent you see with what Kingsbury is bringing to the table schematically. I just think there there's all these reasons to to feel like you can really believe in Kyler Murray and the future of himself and the Cardinals.
1: Wait, wait, did you just say you wanted to crown somebody, Kyle? If you want to crown him, then crown him.
0: I, I automatically I mean, flinch because I was the guy behind the door. I did the post game radio interview after the tirade by Darren. I, can't,
1: I oh. cannot hear that anymore the rest of my yeah. life without just flashing back.
0: I'm liable to have a seizure when I hear that. So, uh, the next two games at home, Darren, paint us a picture for those media members and those few who will be in attendance at State Farm Stadium what they can expect here in the 2020 home experience what exactly is that going to mean for Kyle's going to be like okay you know what, what am I walking into here
1: I mean look the bottom line is uh, you know it's I'm sure it'll be a lot like what we saw in San Francisco Paul which is a relatively empty press box certainly not a, anybody in the stands at least uh, at State Farm Stadium in most places obviously there are a couple of teams around the league that had a few fans at their games uh, but that's not going to be the Cardinals the next two home games at least um, and it's, it's going to take some getting used to. And, and I, even though the players have already played a game, Paul, I, I do think walking into that stadium, there, well, there's kind of two sides to it. I, I think there is going to be, now that we're to the regular season, and even though they already played a game in San Francisco, I do think there's going to be a transition for the players themselves, the Cardinals themselves, walking into that stadium without a crowd. That being said, we did just spend a month there or so for training camp, And they were in there every day, and they were playing crowd noise, in air quotes. Um, And they did go through a red and white practice with the player introductions and the music really loud and blowing everything out and, and, and trying to get some energy before the game. So they know kind of what it's going to be like in terms of that. But I do think that ultimately, once the game starts, and a lot of the players were saying this, uh, I, I think your, your instincts kick back into just playing football. There's going to be a couple moments where you're going to be on the sidelines wishing there was somebody giving you emotion and energy. But I think on the field itself, I, I, think, I think these guys are programmed to, to – to, it, it's not going to matter whether there's, there's a crowd or not. And it, the one thing I do think of, Paul, is all those times over the years – not every player says it because most of them are smart enough to realize that, yeah, they still want to get paid to get played. But how many players over the years have said they don't even need to play me, pay me to play? Or Patrick Peterson a couple of weeks ago, doesn't matter if we go play in a parking lot. Well, you're not going to be in a parking lot. It's going to sound a little bit like a parking lot, like you're playing a game. Okay, now, now you actually get the chance to see what that's like. I don't know if you really wanted it to be that way, but now you're going to get to see it.
0: I had the broadcast headset on during the course of the game, the crowd noise that was pumped into Levi stadium did not seem that loud.
1: Not at all. And, and I've had a lot of people, it's funny. I had multiple people reach out to me, people I know, my mom was one actually that was complaining that when she was watching it on TV and somebody else said this too, that it was actually so loud. It was making it hard to hear the announcers. And I'm like, that made me, I thought that was a little weird. And I was wondering if that's Fox itself pumping something in through the TV channel. Cause that's not what we are hearing game at all,
0: exactly. I thought the Monday night broadcast was brutal. Uh, this second game, the Texans around uh, the Texans, the uh, Tennessee game, yeah. uh, You, it was, I had a struggle to hear the announcers because the crowd noise, the fabricated, full crowd noise. The well, m- they had they had
1: real people there, though, Paul. That was all it was, those 50 family members or whatever.
0: I just, I honestly, I hit the mute, it was giving me a headache, sort of like what Kyle Shannon said before the game. And maybe Kyle Shannon had something to do with Levi Stadium. He said. It's not necessarily the volume of the noise. It's the constant noise. If they're just going to be running the noise for three hours straight, I'm going to have a splitting headache. So maybe Kyle Shanahan had something to do with that, and maybe it's going to be different, Kyle, because for a lot of Cardinals camp, they were running constant white noise, basically.
2: So how did they do that there? Did did they pump it up, like, during third downs and when the, uh, when the Cardinals had the ball, or how did no. they –
1: it, it, it didn't, and, and I'm just getting, I'm getting a text from our uh, good friend Jim O'Mahundro who normally, if we're in the studio, would be able to pipe in himself, but obviously through Zoom it's not going to happen. He did uh, clarify that what you're hearing on the TV broadcast is different than what they're hearing in the stadium, so that's, that cl- kind of clears that up. No, it, didn't, it did not feel – there was a couple times when the 49ers had the ball and it felt like they turned it way down. Like, I don't know if, if the home team has the option to like, okay, because it's the home team, you get a little bit more quiet. I, it's, it felt that way to me. But I'll be honest, when the Cardinals had the ball, it never felt so loud that I felt like there was any kind of problem. And I think ultimately that's what's going to play into this. Like, I don't know what – other than not having to actually take the plane to wherever you're going, I don't know what kind of home field advantage there's really going to be. And we've seen this a little bit in the NBA bubble with – you know, no fans and everything like that. And I I feel like it's even the playing field a little bit. And I think there's a real chance that there's going to be some of that this year. I mean, I still think ultimately the better team is going to win most of the time and there's still teams that are better than the others, but you're not going to have as to Paul's point, one way or the other, where, you know, the Cardinals going to Seattle and drawing on that fan base or going to uh kansas city and how i mean kansas city is going to roll over teams because they're the chiefs and they're really good but you're not going to have the crowd part of it playing an uh, a, a big role and what i'm wondering a little bit is does that impact the officials at all who you know they're human beings too do they throw or not throw a flag uh now because there's no crowd to be upset or not be upset Whereas opposed to maybe before. That's something that has crossed my mind.
0: We'd just be happy if they stay on their feet at this point, you know, honestly, some of the officials. Look, Jordan Hicks shared this with the media last week that Cliff Kingsbury told the team, there is no such thing as home field advantage for the most part. You're going in, it's man against man, it's team against team. And, and, and that was his message going against the Niners. So we'll see what it's all about at State Farm Stadium and how different It may or may not be. I I do agree that it was very quiet at times, Darren, which makes you wonder, was was Peyton Manning running the volume? Was he running (laughs) the crowd noise? Because we all know Peyton Manning, and, you know, Peyton Manning at work, he'd get all those Broncos fans, he'd be like this, and you didn't know, was he playing quarterback or was he putting on the 18th green for some golf championship? You know, it might as well be like a course marshal with a quiet please sign up there. It It was unbelievable how quiet those Broncos fans would get when Peyton Manning was at work. So we'll see exactly what's going to happen this week for the Cardinals at home because they got two in a row, Washington and then the Lions. And, dare I say, Kyle, and oh, boy, you know, you you got a chance here. Do you not? I mean, the, you gotta, you got to make room on the bandwagon if uh, all of a sudden the schedule shapes up favorably here the next two weeks.
2: And you know the next two after that, right? Jets this and Panthers. Here, what is it? Panthers and Jets. Wow. Yeah, you I, – I, I tweeted that, that you look at the Cardinals' next four games, like you said, Washington, Detroit, Carolina, and the New York Jets, and you you have a real chance to start fast. And then I got like 17 replies saying let's take it one week at a time. And I, I'm not playing, so I'm not really worried about that. I don't have to focus on this game. I'm actually not going to be on the field. If I don't know if that shocks anybody. I'm, I'm not trying out. Um, hey, yeah. Uh...
1: Hey, Kyle, the, the 17 replies, were they all Cliff Kingsbury burner accounts?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the fans are unhappy that I'm talking about it. And Anytime I say anything, people will be like, oh, you, don't jinx us. It's like, Look, just trying okay. to tell you what's going on. But I think, I mean, it's, it's a nice setup for the Cardinals, and you're – they're a better team than Washington. And I think Detroit's a a solid team, but you're at home for that one. And I think the Cardinals are more talented than the Panthers and the Jets. So it's hard to win five straight games and if they start five and oh you know people will obviously be over the moon Um, but it, it certainly sets up to where they're going to be the favorites more often than not in these next four games when that's been a rarity the last few seasons the Cardinals have been the underdogs week after week after week so it's a little bit of a role reversal and now they have to you know live up to that and execute but I think this is a golden opportunity for the team
1: with, with the replies, Kyle, I mean, I know it was said about a much more serious subject, but Justin Pugh just got through saying that it doesn't matter what you say, somebody's going to have something negative to say about it. So that's that's all this. Yeah.
0: And Kyle, I, that, was my final, final, you know, that, that was a fine tweet, but it wasn't, you know, Darren's tweet, what a win for this team. They got like 1,200 likes within three, you know, 30 minutes. So, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many likes it got, but, you know, it wasn't to come full circle here on Cardinals <laughs> Underground. It wasn't, Luckily. what a win for this team. Now, Darren, did you use an exclamation point or not? No,
1: I don't. My, my wife had, I know this is going to offend some people, and I have used exclamation points at times. but. No, I don't believe I'm it. Not, I'm not 12 years old. I don't use exclamation points. That's when you When you become a writer, you don't use exclamation points.
0: Why, what? What? It's 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 beneath you guys, master of the printed word. It's beneath uh, the, you journalists
1: it's not beneath. It's just, I mean,
2: we're just delivering the info, and you can be excited about it if you want. And we're just gonna let you know what's going on. It was a great win for the team. Everybody else can add their exclamation points. <laughs> I, I also feel like it's an inverse on Twitter. Like I'll put out the content that I want people to see, and it'll get crickets. And then you put out. You know, the, the very simple stuff that's more of like the red meat for the fans, and those are the tweets that go wild. So you, you tweet sometimes for the fans, and sometimes you tweet for yourself.
0: <laughs> I just can't believe the disdain for the exclamation point. I mean, you know, I just uh, – it's – honestly. You You've know, used them
2: all up in emails to us. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Right. This
1: I, it really wasn't meant to be a personal well, shot, but if
2: you're going to talk- hurt, that oh. really hurt. Now it's oh, getting but- now it's getting personal. It's not just about the
0: exclamation point; it's about poly punctuation. Now, speaking now, speaking
2: of personal, how have we not talked about your boy Stravler yet? <laughs> that's oh my God. God, we did forget. Oh my
0: gosh, I, I get an F for this edition of Cardinals Underground. I get a failing grade. When they go back and they grade the film here, I'm going to get a failing grade. How can we not talk? That's that's terrible. That is that is that's egregious. That uh, the leveler, who by the way, is really I mean, honestly, in this in this time of need in 2020, which is global, by the way, the leveler is propping up Canada single-handedly. Have you I seen the response from the CFL fans and the proud Canadians? I mean, forget the hockey playoffs that are still going on, forget all that. It's the leveler that is truly raising the level of Canadian attitudes and and confidence and I mean, they're all over the fact that he came in on his first snap and got a first down.
1: Well, the the, re- the reality is, once they canceled the CFL season, they 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 got to kind of live it vicariously through uh, Struggler the Leveler. So, can I just? You know, say- I'm just disappointed. You brought this. You brought the end of this podcast so perfectly with a tweet. I know. And we stepped and, in it.
0: And then and then I and that's what I get. That's what that's what I get for using a punctuation. You know, like the exclamation point. That's what I get because it comes back. The karma will get you. I'm finding this out the hard way. That uh, as someone who's a, a repeat offender of the exclamation point, that that's what happens. So, you know, my perfect ending to this Cardinals Underground was squashed by the egregious uh, omission of the level.
1: That's uh,
0: yeah. yeah. That is worthy of an exclamation point, and that is Cardinals Underground.